Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Your guests uh, this week in Salem Alliance, welcome. Glad you're here. And if you're joining us on live stream, welcome. Glad you're here as well. We are starting a new series. We're starting a new series this weekend called Why Church? I unashamedly stole this, this, the title from this series from our college ministry that uh, they did a series on Why Church last year, last ministry year. And I grabbed it because I think this is a pretty relevant question. As a kid, uh, I, I, my parents were missionaries in China. I was born in Hong Kong. My dad's a church planter. And as a, as a kid, uh, that's a picture of, my, of the family I grew up in. I'm the I'm bottom right. Yep, that's me there. And um, I, I did not like going to church as a kid. I did not like going to church. It wasn't because the preaching was bad. It was actually in a language I didn't really fully understand. Uh, it wasn't because the music, I just, you know, wasn't my style. That wasn't, wasn't the music. Uh, it wasn't because I had to get up early in the morning. That really wasn't it. Uh, it was the people, which I know is really an odd thing for a pastor to say, but um, hear, hear me out on this because I'm, I, here I am, an American kid, I'm an American fan, but we're living in China and my, my mom and dad are planning some churches in some pretty unique areas and some of them haven't seen uh, Americans before. So every, most every weekend we went to church, my brother, sister, and I had to endure this, this fascination that the folks in that church had with people who had a different color skin and different color hair. They would, they would walk up and they would, they would take their hands and sort of just feel our hair and run their fingers through our hair. And it drove me crazy. Uh, they just kind of just feel our hair and they would giggle and laugh. And, and then what they would do is, you can, you can kind of see in the picture, I had some, some ch- chubby, you know, I had a full face. And uh, they would they'd walk up and it was pretty common in that culture that you would take a kid and you would grab, you would pinch his cheeks, the cheeks on his face. You would pinch his cheeks and sort of just shake them and, that, that drove me nuts. That my brother, my sister and I, we had, we'd go to church and our people run their fingers through our hair and they're grabbing our face and pinching it. And I did not like church. And every four or five years uh, of being on the mission field, we come home to the States and I was always grateful because people didn't do that at church. Don't try it. People didn't do that at church. <laughs> my mom last night tried to run her hand through my hair and I messed up her hair. We had a little fight over there in the hot dog area. Um, <laughs> And, but here's what happened when I was in the States. We were driving the church one day. We passed a baseball field. And there's a Little League game going on. And I, I love sports and I, I'd love to play baseball. Couldn't play baseball overseas in China. And so I asked my parents if I could play Little League. And my mom and dad told me, no. I asked the question, why? Why can't I play baseball? And mom and dad told me, because the games are on Sunday. And that made no sense, yeah, thank you. That made no sense to, to, to me because that was fun. And church wasn't as a kid. Church wasn't fun. Why could, can't I be a Christian and, and, and not go to church? That was the thought I had as a kid. I mean, do I, can, it's not like I'm gonna deny Jesus. I just wanna play a little baseball. I mean, why, why is this so important that I have to be in church and I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't play baseball and that question of why why do we do why do I need to be in church why do I need to gather with the church that that sort of rose in me and um, in fact people they you know they've written books about this Philip Yancey he wrote a book about this question he said church why bother he grew up in the Bible Belt and in a pretty legalistic church and and he wrote about that experience 
Dan Kimball, a pastor on the West Coast, wrote a book uh, called I Like Jesus, But I Don't Like the Church. Um, and his own struggle, that, you know, the, the, the struggles of the, of the church and, and this question about the relevance of the church and the necessity of the church isn't just a question that kids ask. I think even in our day, this is a question that is, that's sort of bubbling to the surface. Why do we do what we do? Why do we gather as the church? And it, can't I be a Christian and, and, and not go to church? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? And, and I, I want to kind of poke and prod at that. I want to kind of look at that from, from different directions and, and talk about why we do what we do, why we gather as the church. But even before I can really get into the meat of this series, I really need to, to say something, just express some preliminary thoughts. Because you may already be feeling some tension in your heart. You may be thinking, okay, Steve has been tracking me with the friendship pad. I haven't signed in in a while. He's got us all wearing name tags because he's looking for me. And no, uh, no, 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 no. Here's something I just want you to understand. First thing on this series, no guilt. This isn't about guilting anybody. I don't know if you've recognized this or not, but guilt is a lousy motivator for sustained change and transformation. Guilt just doesn't get that job done. It may change, it may, it may modify behavior for a short term, but rarely, rarely, rarely does guilt lead to this healthy transformation and change that I'm longing for in my life. No guilt. That's not, that's not what this series is about. And, and at the same time, I want us to understand there's a difference between guilt and conviction. Okay? Guilt, typically when it plays out, I did something wrong or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do and that leads to shame, which then can lead to self-loathing. Conviction is actually when someone says something to me or the Spirit of God speaks to me, it actually leads to sorrow, godly sorrow, and as I walk that path of repentance, it actually leads to a desire for change and that's actually where sustained transformation will take place. Differentiate between the two, but we're, this is not about guilting people. This is not about handing out extra heaping helpings of guilt. That, that does not get the job done. That's not what this series is about. So no guilt. Second thing I want you to hear is no illusions. Here's what I mean by this. This is not the perfect church. The reason I am convinced of that, the reason I know that, I have no illusion of that, is because I happen to know the lead pastor. And I, I know my own imperfections very well. I know my own tendencies to cynicism. I know my, my own flippant mouth that speaks things that I wanna you know, grab the words and put them back in before I, I say them. I know that there are decisions that I have made that I look back now on and I wish that I had made a different decision. I, I, know, I, I know my own imperfections. You know your own imperfections. And you know very well when it comes to the topic of the church that when, when we start talking about the church that, that sometimes we, we paint these rosy pictures when, uh, and people actually outside the church are talking to us and saying, yeah, the church is full of hypocrites and the church is judgmental and those people are they're just, they're just weird and they're strange. And you might be sitting next to one of those people this morning. Don't look at them. We know full, we have no illusions about the perfection of the church. I mean, I know this full, as a pastor, first year of pastoral ministry, I didn't plan to be a pastor. It's something that God called me into. I was in business. And um, so I'm, I'm preaching in this church, small church, 50, 60 people, and they're taking a risk on me, and they're delightful people, friendly people, kind-hearted people. 
And I'm preaching my heart out like in month three or four uh, in this church in Kelso, Washington. And, um, and as I'm preaching my heart out, about halfway back on the, on the right side of the, of the just kind of two rows of, of pews, um, there's, I'll just call the guy uh, George. Uh, George raises his hand as I'm preaching. Um, he raises his hand. And now this is a new experience for me because um, we, we didn't do a Q&A in any of the church. I grew up in the church, but we never really did Q&A during the service. But I thought, you know, small church, maybe, maybe this is their culture. And, um, and so I, I called on George. Apparently, my sermon was not as riveting as I thought it was because Fred had, had wandered in his mind. He'd wandered so far that when I called on him and said, uh, did I call him Fred? Darn, it says his real name. Hi, live stream. <laughs> He's still alive and well. Uh, <laughs> whoops. No illusions, no illusions. I call on him, I call on him, and, uh, and he goes, coffee's on sale at Fred Meyer. And I'm like, wow. I mean, he didn't just go to the football game that was starting that morning. He went to like shopping and he went to coupons and he went to like, the coffee was on sale at Fred Meyer. And I told him after service, Fred, I, I will never, Sam, now I'm saying his real name. Fred, I will never ever call on you in a church service if you ever raise your hand again. I just want you to know that. Two weeks later, he raises his hand. And I just looked, mm-mm. So if you raise your hand, mm-mm, okay? No illusions. I know the church is imperfect, okay? You know the church is imperfect. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that just so that we can take our imperfections and then sweep them on the rug because, oh, yeah, we're not perfect. No, we, we deal with our imperfections. We don't hide them, but we just don't come to the church expecting and having this idea that everything is going to be perfect. Howard Hendricks said it very well when he wrote years ago, where there is light, there are bugs, okay? <laughs> so no guilt, no illusions, yet at the same time, no holding back. We need to let the scripture speak very clearly on this to us of, of why, the, why God thought of this idea of the church and why he decided to gather people who are very different from each other, who actually might irritate one another, or at the same time could significantly bless one another. Why did he, why did he get this whole thing going? What was his intent? Why do we do what we do? And we're no holding back on that. Well, we'll, we'll We'll pay attention to the metaphors that God uses for the church. A metaphor of a field, a building, a temple, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And even as we embrace the significance of each and one of those metaphors, we have to understand his heart for the church, that he would use a metaphor like the bride of Christ. I mean, think about this for a moment. I know that you, know, you could probably have a very heated conversation with me. You can raise your voice. You can say some very pointed things about me. And the, the, my tendency is that I just don't take that stuff personally. I, sometimes I do, but most time I, I don't. I just, it doesn't get me riled up. You, you can send me an email. A lot of it can be caps. You can change the color from black to red to kind of make the point, underline it. You can do all that stuff. And it, it just doesn't really, I don't usually take that stuff personally. But you say something about my wife? You, you, you slander my wife, we're gonna have a conversation. And, and it's gonna be a FaceTime conversation. 
because you start talking about my bride in a way that's negative and derogatory and we're gonna have a conversation. Now think, think about that. God decided to call the church his bride. Sometimes I'm stunned by the cavalier fashion in which some people write or speak of the church. No holding back. We're not gonna guilt anyone through this series. We're not under no illusions, but we're also there's no holding back. But we're gonna address this question. Why church? Can't I get what I need from a podcast? Can't I get what I need from live stream? No guilt, live stream congregation. <laughs> I mean, we, we have families who, I mean, they have, they have children in significant medical trauma and they connect in this place every weekend via live stream. We have folks, moms who dads got sick kids and we got house churches all around the world who are plugging in. So this is, we're, not, we're not guilting anyone in this process. But why do we do what we do? And let's begin first by having a good definition of who the church is. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. They're on the screen here behind me. I'll read them for us. It says, you are a chosen people, you are royal priests. By the way, royalty and, and a priesthood, that was impossible to combine those two roles in the Old Testament. This is mind-blowing kind of information for a New Testament church. You're both now. You're chosen people, you're royal priests, you're a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Anytime you see the word church in the New Testament, behind it is this Greek word ekklesia. You don't need to remember that name, but ekklesia literally captures the heart of what Peter is writing here when he says he's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light because that word means the called out ones. Not, not like called out like you, you did something wrong, but called out of a place of darkness into a place of light. Called out of a place in which you were not a recipient of mercy, but now you are a recipient of mercy. Called out of a place where you had no identity, but now you do have significant identity because now you belong to God. And Peter is saying, this is, this is who you are. You've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And a few verses before, he writes this. He says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. But he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. I love this because Peter, he's given the name by Jesus. It literally means, his name means rock. And so here he is writing about the church, these called out ones, and he tells us that Jesus is the cornerstone, he's the corner rock, and what's happening is as people are being called out of darkness into his wonderful light, they're living stones, and this spiritual house is being built. This, this all around Christ, because Christ has made this possible. It's only through Jesus Christ that the church could even be possible to gather. And, and so, so what's, what's happening here is we're gathering around Jesus, we're like living stones, and we're building this temple, this spiritual house. And what are temples for? Temples are a place where people gather to worship, and it's in the temple that the, 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 the deity of whoever the temple is dedicated to, the presence of that deity is supposed to be there. We see this in the Old Testament. Solomon is dedicating the temple, and God's presence fills that temple, and it, it disrupts worship. 
And, and so what Peter is saying is that we're living stones. We're built into each other and we're building upon Jesus and, and we're reflecting God's goodness to the world. In fact, we'll just put a definition up here. My attempt at defining uh, the church. The church is a gathering of called out of darkness, Holy Spirit-filled people who are building their lives on Jesus, building their lives into one another and reflecting God's goodness to their world. This is who we are. This, th- th- these, this is the called out gathering of people filled with God's presence. And frankly, to the degree that we are building our lives into one another will be the degree to which God fills the temple. That's you, that's us. God speaks collectively when he talks about the temple, not individually, which actually leads us to the first answer to this question. Why do we do church? Here's why. Christianity can only be lived out in community. Christian, it's not a, a private intellectual kind of faith. You actually, Christianity works, if I can kind of use that pragmatic term, Christianity is intended to function best in, a, in, a, in, a, in community. And so we're living stones. We're building our lives into one another, which means if you kind of, kind of picture a wall and you got all these stones, if one of the stones in the wall shakes, the whole wall shakes. Because people's lives have been so built into one another because Christianity functions in its most healthy way in community because that's happening. When your life is shaking, chances are there are people around you that you've built your life into and you've built your life into them that that their lives are shaking as well. If one of those stones is taken out of the wall, the entire strength of the wall is diminished. And and when someone, maybe by death or maybe because they moved to to another city, um, when someone disappears, when one of those living stones is taken away, uh, somehow there's an experience that our community is diminished because because you're not there. Christianity is intended to be lived out in community. That's what Peter's getting at. And to the degree that we are building our lives on Jesus and building our lives into one another will be the degree to which God builds his temple. Now contrast that from scripture to the results of a survey that were done about 10 years ago. Gallup poll, which posed the question, Do you believe it's possible to live a flourishing spiritual life and not go to church? This was asked of American Christians. Do you believe it's possible to live a flourishing spiritual life and not go to church? 81% said yes. Friends, we're just making this stuff out of our head. That is compared to scripture, and and I'll show you in a few minutes, compared to what the early church understood, that that just makes no sense at all. Uh, St. John of the Cross uh, wrote wrote these, these words. He said, the virtuous soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than hotter. What he's saying, this is an early church father, what he is saying is a step away from the church is a step away from God. I know that raises all kinds of stuff around. Wait, 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 what do you, what do you, what do you, remember, no guilt, no illusions. I'm not pretending it's easy to step into the church. I'm not, I'm saying because the, all, all the people are perfect. No, 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 that's not where we're going. It's just saying, from what we understand about what God's heart is for the gathering of the called out ones, 
that our faith flourishes as we're connected to spiritual community. There's a story of another church father who was writing about, a, uh, he actually was responding to the writings of another man who was sort of pointing out the problems with the church and specifically some doctrinal positions the church had and, um, and was writing letters to the church at large to the point where it was getting some attention. And one of these church fathers had to write a letter back to the congregation. And in a few seconds, we're gonna have the quote up here on the screen. And I want you to, 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 I want you to hear his heart on his response to this because it's a pretty powerful response. And I want you to see that the understanding of, of the early church in this relationship between God and the church and, and me. The, Cyprian, he's Bishop of Carthage. Carthage is in modern day Tunisia. Uh, this, is, this is what he writes. He's saying, we are not interested in what, what he teaches. This, this person who's emailing and blogging or Facebooking or writing letters, we're not interested in what he teaches since he teaches outside the church. Whatever and whatsoever kind of man he is, he is not a Christian who is not in Christ's church. He cannot have God as his father who does not have the church for his mother. Now, that quote could be so misused and used in legalistic fashion to inflict all kinds of spiritual abuse on people. That's not where we're going with this. What I'm saying is this. In Cyprian's mind, a church leader in the early church, it was unthinkable for him to say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not connected to the church. This, I, you, you can't have God as your father and not have the church as your mother. It was just unthinkable for him. And the reason is, is because the Christian faith is intended to be lived out in community. That's one of the reasons why we do this. It's one, one of the reasons why we, we gather. We, we know that we have, each have our brokenness. We, we rub our brokenness off on one another, yet at the same time, we, we rub a lot of goodness on one another. And it's risky. And it's because... The reason we do is because this, this was actually Christ's intent. Here's the second thing I'd, I'd pose to us this morning. You can't experience God to the degree that he intends without being built into a body of believers. You cannot, this is a very strong statement, I realize this, you cannot experience God to the degree that he intends without being built into a body of believers. Let me explain. And no one illustrates this better than a guy named C.S. Lewis. Lewis, in a book he wrote called The Four Loves, was writing about friendship. And Lewis, has, he's connected to a local church and he has a small group. He's got some very good friends. A couple of his friends, Ronald and Charles, are in this group. And, and actually, Charles, he, he passes away. And Lewis is writing about this passing of his best friend and he, he expresses the loss that his small group has experienced. Listen to these words. They'll be on the screen uh, behind me as well. Lewis writes, in each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a joke told by Charles. Far from having more of Ronald, far from having him more to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less 
of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, where the very multitude of the blessed increases the enjoyment each has of God. The more we share the heavenly bread between us, the more we all shall have. Do you hear what Lewis is saying? What he's saying is that it takes a group to know an individual. And when you apply that kind of thinking to not just your earthly relationships, but to your heavenly relationship, friends, you have a very small perspective and understanding of who God is. And your perspective actually becomes enlarged when you're part of community. That actually, in fact, we have the scriptures and much of we know, that we know about God is because people, other people encountered God and we read about their experience. We learn from their experience and their encounter with God and it actually blesses and it, it fuels our faith as we walk and follow after Christ. And if we attempt to do the Christ life alone, it doesn't mean that you won't experience God. No, you'll experience God. Now, we, we encourage having a quiet time, have a alone time with Christ. It's just that, that it will be, it'll be a pretty narrow slice, but your, your, your experience of God will be enlarged by your building into community. So that, that's, that's another reason. Why church? I mean, why not a podcast? Why can't I just do live stream? Why, why, why can't I just watch a church service on TV? Because that preaching is better anyways. And why, why can't I? Why? Because there's just something about gathering together. Yes, with, with all of our brokenness and all of our idiosyncrasies and yet all of our beauty. We actually are creating an environment in which spiritual life can flourish. And we will have a greater encounter, we have greater encounters and greater experiences with God as we do it with others. Now, let me just sort of lead us to a couple practical steps, and then I want to free you up for hot dogs. Okay? So, so what, what's that mean for us? Well, some of the obvious application is simply this you need to find spiritual community. Now, you, here's the good news. Next weekend is Group Life Weekend. You're gonna see a bunch of leaders up here on this platform and they're gonna be talking about community groups and they're gonna be talking about Bible studies and they're gonna be talking about men's groups and women's groups and there's gonna be groups for our deaf community and there's gonna be you know, groups that are talking about marriage stuff and there's all kinds of groups around here and the reason that is is because the staff is trying to, we're, we're trying to create for you spiritual environs in which your spiritual life can flourish and it flourishes best in community, not in isolation. And you need to find spiritual community. And I want to just add this little thought too. Some of you have been looking for spiritual community. Thank you for doing that. Yet you've not quite found it yet because it just hasn't been a fit. Can I just encourage you, don't give up on that journey. Because here's what, some, some of you have great spiritual community. You're blessed. Here's what happens when you find healthy spiritual community. The desire to gather as the larger church actually rises in your own heart. So be on the search for spiritual community. Look for it. The second thing I would say this is simply this, be here. Now you would expect a pastor to say that, right? Be here. 
Now, this is not about, you know, tell you what, we're trying to raise our numbers because we want to be a larger church and that. No, no, no. If that's the motive of leadership here, we've got bigger problems. No, being here is about positioning ourselves for an encounter with the living God. To the extent that we're building our lives into one another and building our lives into God, God's presence fills the temple. That's 1 Peter chapter 2. And our experience with God will be deepened as we gather. Be here, be here because, because your experience of God will be, will be richer for it. And be here meaning also be present. is isn't just about being in the room. Some of you, you like I said, you were gone to hot dogs and root beer. You're welcome back. You're, now you're back. Be, be present in your small group. Listen as someone's sharing. Listen with the purpose of understanding. Be prepared to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Be present. So be on the search for spiritual community and be here. Let me just wrap up with one story. Some of you may not know uh, Dale Wall, but Dale Wall, um, he, he typically, he, he's here pretty much all weekend. He's on our staff. He's on our facilities crew. He cleans, he cleans up around you. He picks up all the trash. He's vacuuming. He serves super hard. He's a go-getter. And, um, and I, I, I love Dale. Dale found out this summer that he had significant health issue. Dale has a very large tumor on his intestines. He had a conversation with his doctor, and his doctor gave him some pretty sober news, saying that, Dale, this probably is cancer. Removing the tumor likely means removing your colon um, and a significant just change of life for you. And the doctor um, scheduled his surgery for August 1st. Now, every year... Our staff gets together mid-August for a staff picnic. Families come, we play games, we have hot dogs and hamburgers, we just enjoy each other's company. Out at the Shillings Barn, they're, they're super generous to us and such a great place to gather. And, uh, and it's typically mid-August. Dale gets this call from the doctor that surgery has been scheduled for August 1st. He calls his doctor back up and says, I need to reschedule my surgery. And his doctor, who, by the way, I found out goes to Salem Alliance. She was here at the 5 o'clock service. Um, the doctor says to Dale, Dale, we need to get on this right away. This is very serious. Why, why do you need to reschedule this surgery? And Dale's response is, because the church staff is having a picnic and I need to be there. And she said, well, Dale, you need to get this tumor out. This, this could threaten your life. And he, in, in his own belligerent way, if some of you know Dale, you know that he can, he can be pushy that way. He said, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to that. I'm, I'm, I'm not surgery. I'm, I'm going to my staff picnic. I can't miss it. Now, some of you may think that's, that, that he's crazy and do that. He might be a little crazy. But um, <laughs> this guy actually was so persuasive that his doctor changed the surgery date to September 1st. So he could be at the staff church picnic. And he was there, and he was intermingling and, and talking to people, and, and on September 1st, he had his surgery. Just so you know, they removed the tumor. They did not have to remove his colon. It was not cancerous. He's doing great, he's recovering. He's had a hard time keeping down the food. Um, 
Dale might be watching on live stream. His birthday was two days ago. He celebrated his 70th birthday in a hospital bed. I thought about bringing cake and eating it in front of him, but he can't eat, so that probably would have been rude. <laughs> but here's the deal. I can't speak for the rest of the staff, but I can speak for myself. I don't think I would have changed my surgery date. And I'm not saying that's the wisest thing to do anyways. But I, I look at Dale and I have to say to myself, I think he gets it. I think he gets it more than me. Maybe more than us. His life is so intertwined and invested in the church that he would tell his doctor, I can't miss those hamburgers and hot dogs. Those people. I think he gets the church. Now, I want to invite you to stand because we're going to wrap up here. I'm going to release you in a few, few moments to go over to Broadway Commons. We got hot dogs, we got root beer, we got bouncy house. You got name tags. You may be wondering who, I mean, name tag weekend, really? That's so awkward. Who, who thought of that? <laughs> Me. Here's why some of you are lonely. Some of you are longing for authentic community. Some of you have it. One of the very first steps to experiencing authentic community is simply knowing someone's name. So as you go over, can I encourage you to have conversation with people you don't know? It's okay if you talk to someone you do know, but walk up to someone, you'll see their name tag. Just say, hey, I'm Steve, you're... Okay, you're, 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 you're Derek, and how long have you been coming to Sam Alliance? And, and start there. And I, you know, I ask that question all the time. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Someone will say, I've been coming here 30 plus years. Probably should have known that. But just start having a conversation. Who knows? Maybe actually will lead to a place where you begin to find someone that you could experience community with. So... As we go over there, I want to encourage you to have those conversations. There'll be people after the service who would love to pray with you. People here, people by the cross. If, if you don't know what it means to, to be called out of darkness into his wonderful light, that could, that could happen today. But I want to bless you with a deepening desire for community and an experience of community that just surprises and astonishes you. And then I want to bless you with deep and powerful encounters, experiences with the living God as you intertwine and invest your life in people called the church. Grace and peace to you. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.